From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. You've got this tug of war going on between the government and the Bank of England. That doesn't lead to a stable situation. We must face up to the fact that for too long, our economy has not grown enough. I'm prepared to do what it takes to get us through these difficult times, to get us through this difficult winter, and to come out stronger as a country. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today, the dust settles on the ashes of Trussonomics. The Prime Minister says sorry, but can she rescue her premiership? We'll get the view of our opinion columnist, Therese Raphael. Plus, even after the U-turns, the government still needs to find billions of pounds more in cuts. So we'll speak to our UK economy reporter, David Goodman, about the numbers and where those savings are going to come from. But first, an apology. We have made mistakes. I'm sorry for those mistakes, but I've fixed the mistakes. I've appointed a new Chancellor. Uh, We have restored economic stability and fiscal discipline. And what I now want to do is go on and deliver for the public. So Liz Truss there doing the rarest of things in a politician's life, saying sorry. But Will it work? Does it come too late? Joining us now is Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael. What do you think? Is it going to work? Well, I guess it depends on what we mean by work. If it, you know, if, if if we mean, will it keep her in office for this week <laughs> until Christmas? You know, it's it's possible, but not because so much that she apologized, but because the Tory party doesn't have a clear forward to replacing her. I mean, it could certainly change the rules of the 1922 committee that prohibited a challenge for a full year after she uh, assumed office. It can, it can do that for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. there's not an easy um, replacement for Liz Truss. It can bring in Jeremy Hunt, but you know, will that unite the party beyond the immediate kind of need to stabilize? And so I think the apology, plus bringing on Hunt, plus repudiating her entire agenda, all of those things we've seen in the last four days, you know, they've extended her life as prime minister a while. But it's hard mm. to see, you know, what is the point of Liz Truss staying on? She is now standing for everything that she um, decried and criticized as a candidate. And so there's a a huge gap to bridge between where mm-hmm. she is now and you know what she campaigned on and it's, yeah, it's yeah. not clear how yeah. she's going to do that yeah let's pause for a moment though on the actual apology element because i i had to beetle off and do a little bit of research into mm. whether, homework. I, yeah. I did, well, whether saying sorry 
actually does mean that you get to save your job. And there's quite a bit of research, actually, about whether and how you apologise in a business scenario when stuff goes really badly wrong. And some of the elements that I've sort of pulled apart, like Harvard Business School and others, you have to take responsibility talk about future behavior changes, the timing of when you do it and exactly who you apologize to are Uh, all elements apparently in the sorry that really matter. So to my mind, if you pull this apart, the major question for me is that Liz Truss, uh, when it comes to kind of the investors and people in the city of London, she didn't really take responsibility for what she did, Stephen. Well, it's that. Well, like, if you go down, if you go down that, sorry, Teres, but if you go down that checklist, yeah. like if there, there aren't many of those elements that are kind of match and those up were to only what a we few. what we heard. But there, there's something quite psychological about that. All of the headlines today, you know, Prime Minister says sorry. That is something that it doesn't come very often mm. in in such a clear and unambiguous format. But I just can't help but feel that it comes far too late, Teres. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, we all have seen kids, you know, that when they fight in the schoolyard and you know they're told to say sorry and they just sort of say sorry and it's kind of a, they've sort of hurled it out there. They're not really sorry. They didn't really, you know, they don't really wish they didn't throw that punch. But, you know, I, I think all along we've seen with trust is that she's sort of hunkered down. You know, she does come from that school of don't explain, don't apologize, um, uh, you know, and she's been forced to to just kind of eat her words. I mean, really, quite literally, um, I don't think it was accompanied with a really clear explanation of what they got wrong. Mm. Um, and what she she might have said is, look, you know, we still believe that Britain needs to be and, and she has said this in sort of other ways that needs to get to you know, to low taxes. And this is, this is why we couldn't, we didn't, we, we shouldn't have done it the way we did. And this is what we could have done differently. And the, and I think the right of the party that supported her and that she courted so assiduously during that campaign, they're going to be furious because not only has she just torpedoed her entire, you know, agenda premiership, but she's really buried for years, maybe a generation, the whole kind of premise of, you know, call it supply side economics or or, or libertarian thinking or or whatever. And some of that part of the party is going to say, you never gave it a chance. You didn't do it properly. And, you know, now basically that, you know, you can't put a cigarette paper between between Jeremy Hunt and Keir Starmer. Yeah. um, I mean, begrudging is the word then, isn't it, in terms of the apology? And you're right. I mean, that goes deep, doesn't it? The Conservatives, the kind of split between the different factions of of the ruling party. But the thing is, externally, you look at YouGov polls, only one in 10 people in Britain now have a favourable opinion of the Prime Minister, 80% unfavourable. But does the public opinion actually matter when, you know, trust is clinging on as it were hour by hour? Well, I mean, going back to your you know, first question, how long can she last? I think the public opinion is just pivotal in that question for the Tory party. So do they try to replace her now and just stem the bleeding? You know, do they let her hang on and hope that with the markets stabilizing with Hunt? having a new program that things will sort of lift i mean you you know you'd expect the polls to narrow a little bit over time but you know if you're really looking at a situation where the scottish national party is the official opposition if an election were held tomorrow i mean that that's pretty shocking for the tories and, and they will need to decide quite quickly what their best course of action is but i also think 
it, things could get worse, right? You know, we haven't seen the worst of it if in April, for example, energy prices that the consumer pays skyrocket and the government hasn't put in sufficient support. I think Jeremy Hunt has some really uh, excruciating decisions to make, as he himself has acknowledged, and including between, you know, do you spend 3% of GDP on defense, mm. um, you know, or, or do you spend on health? I don't think he's going to be able to do everything. It's quite clear he's not. So where are those, wh- what sort of choices is he going to be made? So he gets credit now for stabilizing things. Yeah. But you know, then there's then there are these the tough decisions, and this will be called an austerity government as well as a taxing government, because in the end, at the end of this parliament, taxes are going to be up to their highest level. You know, outside of wartime, thirty six percent of GDP. Yeah. That's not a good look for a conservative party. No, and indeed, already you can see that Labour are making hay out of this. Look, in Parliament yesterday, Labour Stella Creasy asking Penny Mordaunt where the Prime Minister was in Parliament. Take a listen. The Leader of the House suggests that we should be grateful that the Prime Minister has made a difficult decision, and I presume she means grateful that she's stuck to it, given the number of U-turns that we've seen over the last couple of days. But that's the job, making difficult decisions. There are difficult decisions to be made about what is happening in Ukraine, about the fact that President Putin has nuclear weapons, about the chaos caused by Brexit, gang crime, the climate crisis, Ebola in Africa. And all we know right now is, unless she tells us otherwise, that the Prime Minister is cowering under her desk and asking for it all to go away. Isn't it about time she did and let somebody else who can make decisions in the British national interest get in charge instead? Well, the Prime Minister is not uh, under a desk as the... that she is that with regret she is not here for a very good reason Uh, hang on a second the house was not reassured we should point out no and there were absolute guffaws i mean did penny mordant do that on purpose or not use you know i perhaps i'm being cynical in asking that question but you know You were just mentioning, Therese, the sort of big picture, longer term, how does the Conservative government manage all of these big, big decisions? But we're in the minutiae of the crisis now still, aren't we? And we've got Prime Minister's questions tomorrow. Does Liz Truss actually show up at what would be only her third PMQs? Yeah, I think she she absolutely has to show up or, you know, the under the desk or rattling in the attic or whatever the the metaphor of the day is just going to be, you know, the headline that she can never get rid of. And I Penny Mordaunt in a way, you know, she handled that um, period of standing in for Liz Truss obviously quite well. And I think it it was an audition of sorts um, for someone who had wanted to be leader, came very close to being um, selected by MPs and then rode in behind Liz Truss and was rewarded with a, a cabinet position. But she will be, you know, seething as will, you know, many of those around the cabinet who now have to go and defend, you know, quite the opposite of what they were told. They were, you know, assembled uh, as a cabinet um, to get behind in terms of policies. So, you know, what does trust do at this point to restore just like a crumb of credibility? It's really, it's really hard to say. I mean, the only thing we could say is that her weakness is in some ways a strength because 
if she, you know, if there, if she completely falls apart even further, the Tories still have to come up with someone to run the government. They still have to have a cabinet. They still have to try to restore credibility. Um, so yep. until they can decide who replaces Liz Truss and what the direction of government is, you know, for the moment, she's, you know, she's still warming okay. the seat. I think the minute they know what comes next, um, there will be a, 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 you know, yet another change, U-turn, whatever we want to call it. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Believe it or not, Liz Truss has only been Prime Minister for six weeks. So how did it all go so badly wrong for her? We've been discussing this with Joey Jones, who is the former spokesperson for Theresa May, another Conservative leader who was under a great deal of pressure at various points. Now he's senior counsel at Grayling. I've been asking myself this question a bit. Uh, They just... I think it seems to be that there was a degree of complacency about government borrowing that had built up uh, over, you know, the, the the backwash of the financial crisis. Then huge sums were spent on COVID support, uh, and some people, uh, not I would I, I would I would stress people like Rupert Harrison, uh, were suggesting that this could almost go on forever. So I think there was a blithe complacency about the way that they laid out. Uh, the mini budget. I think there was also a degree of contempt for some of the institutions that we now see are so critical to financial credibility. So the, the Office for Budget Responsibility was put in place by George Osborne, who is, you know, no no great friend now, it seems, to, to Liz Truss. Uh, and again, I don't think that they treated that institution with the respect that it deserved. So to the, the, the Bank of England, but you put all of that cocktail together, and of course, it landed them with a with a situation that blew up in their face and, and more to the point blew up in the face of the whole of the you know the british economy households and businesses and the rest of it we're going to be paying the price for that uh, indeed and, uh, and our own uh, economists have crunched the numbers and they're looking at an additional 10 billion pounds a year uh, as a result of, of the uh, ruptures within the gilt markets that that being said in the last couple of days of course um what's happened in the markets is there's a little bit more sense of optimism but a bit more sense of calm within the context of course of the, the significant route that we saw because uh, jeremy hunt has come come back and, and and gutted most of the the plans so to what extent does that give do you think the prime minister cover in in the days and weeks ahead do you think joey i think if she were able to <clears throat> show a a sureness of touch herself hmm. then she might be able to stumble on but unfortunately i think that she just comes across as though she's completely divorced from the reality of what is confronting her politically economically yes i think that you know it feels as though 
there is more credibility there, there things are things are calmer but i think the damage has been done in terms of liz truss's already shaky authority within the parliamentary party because let's not forget the bulk of parliamentarians on the conservative side mm. actually supported rishi sunak but her authority is just gutted now uh, and you see her doing interviews last night with chris mason from the bbc she just doesn't seem to be able to project any sort of lightness of touch any sort of empathy for people as i say who who are who are dealing with the consequences of those mistakes that she is now holding her hands up uh, to no lightness of touch no no ability to sort of flex with very fast moving um political events and i think that that is going to mean that she is on on borrowed time it's really a question mm. of when not if yeah surely if you were advising her would you just be telling her to go now i mean what is the least worst option for the conservative party well, the current situation is uh, humiliating for her. You could see how awkward it was for her sitting at the dispatch box uh, and listening to Jeremy Hunt uh, eviscerating her, uh, her her plan, her project, everything that she had been hoping for. I don't suppose, frankly, that the idea of um, trooping out of the door of number 10 in abject humiliation would be a particularly attractive one uh, for her, probably faster than pretty much any other uh, any other prime minister. Uh, and so she's going to try to cling on. I wouldn't want to be advising her right at the moment, but but the, but I'm I'm afraid the situation is that unless she can suddenly transform herself into a political operator who, as I say, can project those qualities of empathy, um, fleetness of foot, lightness of touch, that 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 sort of thing that seem to be right at the moment utterly beyond her. I cannot see how she can last in the job. So that was the former press secretary to Theresa May, Joey Jones, there speaking to me and to Tom McKenzie a bit earlier this morning. Yeah, what was really astonishing that Joey Jones wouldn't even want to give her advice, you know, mm. potentially the shortest serving prime minister in, in British history. Yeah, I mean, that is that is a pretty... Pretty damning picture painted there by by Joey Jones. Um, of course, the challenges still facing the government are pretty enormous. They've rolled back on £32 billion of the £45 billion of tax cuts, but there's still a hole that's going to be made up. Bloomberg Economics says that it looks at around, to be around £12 billion. You know, junking Truss's economic plans has left her enfeebled, but where next for the UK economy? Let's speak to Bloomberg's UK economy and Bank of England reporter David Goodman, who's with us in studio. Hi, David. Hi. Um, it feels like everyone gets a policy portmanteau these days. Trussonomics, Huntonomics, Sunaconomics. Economically, what has changed from Truss's, Truss's plan to Jeremy Hunt's one? Um, I think everything is a pretty good answer to that. I mean, there was something fantastic that I saw on Twitter last night from Torsten Bell from the Resolution Foundation. He said, in a sign of how big this switch is, the the mini budget in September was the biggest tax cut in budget since 1972. Yesterday was the biggest series of tax hikes since 1993. So that's just put it into context of how big that swing was. And I mean... There's almost nothing left from from what Kwartang said on September the 23rd. We've got the next hike, sorry, next cut still in there, and a couple of other things. But everything else is just on the floor. And Hunt is now in the driving seat for fiscal policy, and he obviously has a very different philosophy from from Truss. And yeah, it's it's going in a completely different direction. Okay, so this is a wild yo-yo ride that we've been on. So are we in for austerity 2.0, as Labour put it? I mean, Hunt has not ruled out more windfall taxes or a kind of ex- any kind of windfall taxes, uh, particularly around energy companies, but there could even be some on banks. 
Yeah, well, I think what was really interesting about what Hunt said on yesterday morning in that statement that he laid out policy by policy he was scrapping from from the mini budget. And at the end, he said, plus, there are more difficult decisions still to come. And he's talked about tax rises, but he also talked about spending cuts. And I think when we when we come to October the 31st, there are going to be they're going to have to be spending cuts to help address this this black hole that the people are talking about. And yeah, that's obviously not great news when you're going to have an economy that was going to have this big sugar rush of tax cuts, and that was going to help avoid, hopefully, avoid too deep a recession next year. Now, not only if we haven't got those those cuts, we also have spending cuts, and that's going to obviously be a drag. And people's energy bills now. They were going to be paid. They kept at a particular level for two years. Now it's only lasting until the spring. And and the, the numbers that people could be paying next year are kind of scare really high again. And that's mm. what we were talking about over the summer about this cost of living crisis. So that's coming back on. And you've got austerity, and you haven't got the tax cut. So yeah, I mean the outlook is is looking pretty bleak. And I think on austerity, Hunt obviously set up the this council of advisors for him. And one in, really interesting thing about that is that Rupert Harrison's on that, and he was a big, obviously a big advisor to uh, to George Osborne yeah. in the aftermath of the financial crisis. So he really knows how to kind of implement these kind of policies. And and the rest of that team, well, all very well-respected economists in, in the in, within markets, but they're all very much of a type that Trust wasn't speaking to. They're, they're not from her kind of economic stable. So yeah. that's kind of well, quite interesting. Well, one person that she was speaking to was Jared Lyons, her external advisor, someone that we've spoken to regularly on Bloomberg Radio. He's pointing out today that the growth plan, in his words, was constructive, something I endorsed at the time, as did the major business groups. The mini-budget fed the misplaced idea, he says, this was a dash for growth like the barber boom and not a plan for growth aimed at boosting investment. Have we lost any kind of important key element in the the philosophy behind that plan that the UK does need more investment to boost growth. Yeah, and I think that's that's potentially one one of the fallouts from this is that you you still need growth in the economy. Like with one of the reasons that the um, the OBR are probably going to come up with such a terrible number this month is because of a hit to growth as well. So there's so much stuff that needs to be done to to help boost growth in the economy. A lot of supply side stuff, which I think Jared Lyons has been talking about and doesn't carry this kind of big shock and wouldn't be something that would speak the markets that stuff needs to be done so if they le- if you lose focus on that because of this this need to kind of bring back some market credibility then you, you it's it's kind of the worst of both worlds really isn't it that we're, we're looking at at the moment yeah you, you talked about that new council of sort of i mean it used to be called wise men i mean i'll call them wise advisors um because yes it includes rupert harrison you've got gertian um Vlieher, you've got Sir sherwood wani and also Karen Ward. So they are kind of um, former Bank of England advisors to uh, policymakers. Two of them are former uh, advisors to former chancellors. I mean, how how important is that? Is that basically the return to orthodoxy? Are we there? Have we pivoted in one almighty, you know, <laughs> swoop from throwing orthodoxy out to bring it back in? Or, you know, or is it more unstable? Because there are others who are saying, hang on, um, are we are we seesawing in in the way that Italy does between technocrats and then mm. kind of populists? I think it was Hunt really saying like this is who we are now. This is who I am as a chancellor. These are the because he was when he was talking, he said I'm going to bring in a panel of of independent people as mm. well. And as he said that, I was thinking, oh, well, who that? Be? I wonder whether that'll bring some of the kind of architects of what Trust wanted to do alongside some more mainstream voices, perhaps, and kind of have a compromise. But instead, it was entirely people from the orthodox as you say i mean incredibly smart incredibly well respected people yes. like karen ward obviously she's been on the radio all the time like 
have used a really well respected in the market. Vliga, yeah, JP Morgan. Yeah, and Vliga, when he was at the bank, everyone thought he was one of the, the best people there and his views kind of carry a lot of weight. But there's nothing in there of the kind of... The kind of the, the policies that that trust was looking to implement, la- mm-hmm. even last month, like no, no one's going to be advocating for a return to those on that council. So, it's a kind of another sign of how Hunt is just he is now the person in the driving seat. Like what what trust wants to do isn't isn't going to happen. So, he's got his team in, he's got his, these advisors in, and that's the kind of direction of travel for the yeah. foreseeable future. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.